Last time we were together, we looked at Peter's best hits, if you would, right? And we looked snapshot by snapshot the life, the character development of Peter, where it started, Jesus calling him later on, right? The good, the bad, and the ugly of Peter, so that we could get an idea of the author who is writing to the church at large in this time period, and who's writing to us as well. If you remember that quick outline, chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 10, it's for us to remember our great salvation. Remember our great salvation. In chapter 2, verse 11 through chapter 4, verse 6, it's to remember our example before men. Remember our example before men. And finally, chapter 4, verse 7 through chapter 5, it's remember our Lord will return. So again, remember our great salvation. Remember our example before men. And remember that our Lord will return. Again, we know who Peter is. And Peter starts off by stating that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's able to leave that there. If you're familiar with the Bible in many of Paul's letters to the different churches, Paul would take some time there to defend his apostleship because many people still doubted him. Paul was a former persecutor, a former murderer of Christians, so Paul would have to spend a long time saying, no, I am an apostle by the will of God. I am an apostle by X, Y, or Z. Peter, on the other hand, was well-known and trusted. Didn't have to spend a long time defending who he was and his role within the church. He was able to right away just say, hey, I'm an apostle and that's it. With the young adults, we're looking at the life of David and it's kind of mind-blowing to see how often David's name is mentioned throughout scripture. And Peter is very similar to that. David Guzik, he tells us Peter's name is mentioned in the gospels more than anyone except Jesus. No one speaks in the Gospels as often as Peter did, and Jesus spoke more to Peter than to any other individual. Again, the body, the church body, they trusted in Peter. They knew that he spent time with Jesus. If you remember last time, right, who are those students that get to know the teacher the best? The troublesome ones, right? The ones that get to spend extra time with teacher and extra time in class. And now he's writing this letter to the pilgrims, right? If you would, to the elected pilgrims. That word pilgrim, it's one who sojourns on earth. What does that word mean, right? I don't know if you used that word recently. We're sojourning to the grocery store, right? Or whatever it may be. It's a temporary stay on earth. It's one who journeys in foreign lands. And again, family, it's very important for us to remember this is a temporary stay. These 20 years, these 40 years, these 80 years, 120 years, this is a temporary stay. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. William Barclay on pilgrims, he stated, they inhabit the lands of their birth, but as temporary residents of it. They take their share of all responsibilities as citizens, and they endure all the disabilities as aliens. Every foreign land is their native land, and every native land a foreign land. They pass their days upon earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. 
Family, who's your king? Who's your leader? Where's your homeland? Right? Again, that should where we're at with this week. It should all be looking at the Lord because he's our king. That's our land. That's our home. And again, we get the difficult parts on both sides, right? We get all the responsibilities of being a citizen here on earth, of being a citizen in the United States, of being a citizen in Florida or wherever you're visiting from, right? But we get, or we should get, all the disabilities as aliens. The problem for some of us is we've forgotten we're aliens. We're pilgrims just passing through. And now if our life is looking more and more like this world than that of an alien, there's some error there that should be addressed. We should never feel settled here in this world. We may get small tastes, small glimpses of heaven. Maybe you're out in nature and man, you smell that fresh air and you get a small glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. Maybe during the worship set this evening, you just closed your eyes and you're hearing all the believers singing the truths of God's word and it's a small taste of what heaven's going to be like. Maybe in the midst of a Bible study or a time alone in your word with God and you get a small glimpse of what that intimacy is going to feel like with God. But this world is not our home. This world is not our home. And dangerous things can happen when you feel settled and safe, right? During a game, if you take your foot off the gas when you're winning, dangerous things can happen, right? Nobody wants to be the Atlanta Falcons, right? In this recent turn of events, right? Always blowing leads. No one wants to be like that. During a war, you don't want to let your guard down even if you're winning, Even if you think things are okay, as a police officer, you should never let your guard down. It's always interesting to me, youth groups play this game, this very holy game, that's called murder in the dark, right? (laughs) And I always wonder, man, what does the kid tell their parent when they get home? What did you learn about today in youth group? Murder in the dark. Oh, all right. Let's find a new church, right? (laughs) But when the kids are playing murder in the dark, usually everybody's... Senses are heightened. Everybody's freaking out. No one's feeling safe. One time we played it up in headwaters, and when I was around, no one felt safe. I don't know why. I could have been it. I could have not been it, and no one felt safe. But for whatever reason, these sixth grade girls and seventh grade girls felt very safe with Amanda. The problem was she was dealt the murderer card. So in their safety, in their settled state of life, they all lost right away. Because they felt settled. They felt comfortable. They felt okay in the darkness with someone else. And family, same is true for us here on this earth. We should never feel settled. We should never feel safe. We should never feel okay that we can just put our feet up and everything's going to be fine. We need to be on guard. We need to be ready that at any moment... Jesus is coming to take us home. We need to be ready that at any moment we are in war, we are in a battle, and we should not let our feet, our foot off of the gas. He says, pilgrims of the dispersion, 
This word dispersion, it was a term given to the Jewish people after the fall of Jerusalem in the Old Testament when the Babylonian Empire came in and conquered Judah in the Old Testament, right? You could think of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was called the dispersion. The Jewish people were dispersed now all over Babylon and all over the Babylonian Empire. Here, Peter's using that word for believers scattered throughout the whole world. We looked real quick at Acts last week, and because of the heavy oppression and hatred for Christians, Christians were sent packing. They were dispersed everywhere. That word dispersion, it's to cause to become spread widely, right? You could think of wind with leaves, and it scatters it wildly and everywhere, right? If right now you're a parent and you have toddlers, you could think of their toys, right? They're scattered widely, or should I say wildly, all over the house, right? You pick up, you wait an hour, what in the world just happened, right? They're scattered everywhere. And now Christ allows us as believers to be scattered all over the world by different means. And his purpose in allowing us to be scattered is to spread the gospel, It's to share the gospel. Again, I don't know how many of you are gardeners or farmers, but I don't think you get your bucket of seed. You make a hole the same size as the bucket, and you just dump all the seeds right in there, right? You want to scatter it that you'd have more fruit with the seed you've been given. And that's the same thing Christ does with us and with those who he loves. He loved you so much that he scattered another believer into your life to share the gospel with you. That was one of the things Pastor Jim was sharing with the young adults that maybe you were the first person to get saved in your family, right? And God loved you so much that he got you saved, but he loved your family so much that that one person got saved. And after sharing the gospel of their great example, now it's going to continue to spread. We have different families here, right? Think of the Iglesias family, right? And so many of their family members. One person got saved. I think it started with Christy, and then it spread from there. Think of the Escuderos and Rodriguez. It started with Brian, and it spread from there. And God loves us so much and our family so much that he will scatter us around the world. But we need to bear good fruit. We as believers, we should be spreading We should not be secluding ourselves or isolating ourselves, but we should be spreading in order to share the gospel. The dispersion. In Mark chapter 6 verse 7, it says, Jesus called the twelve to himself and he began to send them out two by two. Again, that's a great plan of action. We're not just supposed to be dispersed or we're isolated and in darkness or isolated and not on our mission, but we should be dispersed in order to share the gospel. Where have you been scattered? Into your job, into your family, your hobby, your local club, right? Whatever it may be. Be sure that you're spreading the gospel there. Then he calls them, right, in verse 2, the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And maybe you read through the first six verses, maybe you've read through the whole book of First and Second Peter, and you may think, whoa, this is a fisherman from Galilee? A fisherman from the middle of nowhere, and this guy's got, man, what kind of a seminary did this guy go to, right? 
This guy's a deep Calvinist, right, as we read this, right? And some of us may think that, but it's so important for us to realize Peter came before all of that, right? And what Peter's doing here is he's encouraging the body of believers. He's not trying to become some theologian. He was a fisherman who loved Jesus. That word elect simply means chosen. And they are chosen by God. Peter uses this right after calling them pilgrims in order to strengthen them. To remind them that God has not forgotten about them. That even though they're in the midst of heavy persecution... Even though they're in the midst of difficult times and a difficult season, we need to be reminded, hey, the God of the universe has chosen you to be a part of his family. And we need to be reminded of that. Those days that we're down, those days that we're bummed out, we need to be reminded that we have been handpicked by God to be adopted into his family. And again, the Lord, he doesn't force us into anything. If not, we could say that Jesus Christ himself was forced into doing all that he has done for us. Because it says that he was foreordained, right? By the foreknowledge of God, Jesus Christ was the sacrificial lamb for us. A.R. Falsetti says, God's foreknowledge is not the perception of any ground of action out of himself. Still in it, liberty is comprehended. For so the Son of God was foreknown and foreordained to be the sacrificial lamb. Not against or without his will, but with his will rested in the will of the Father. This includes self-conscious action, nay, even cheerful acquiescence. Again, we're not here because we're being forced to be here by God. But we're here chosen by God, and now that should give us even more joy in our relationship with the Lord. God's not just stuck with us, right? It's not that you prayed a prayer, and now God's stuck with you, right? I can't believe it. Look at what I picked up in the store, right? I'm still stuck with Zach. I said yes, and now I'm just stuck with this guy, right? No, he's picked us. He loves us. Again, and his foreknowledge, that should bring us comfort, that he's seen everything we've done before we came to him. He's seen everything we're doing now in the present. And he knows everything we're going to do in the future. And he has still chosen us. He's handpicked us. Again, this should bring us comfort. Election and the foreknowledge of God are to bring us comfort and humility. It should not be used as a worldview for us to look down at unbelievers it should not be used for us to take more pride in the fact that I am the chosen of God, right? It should bring us to humility. Lord, you know all my sin, you know all my wrongdoing, and yet you picked me. Right? Last week we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Let's turn there, right? Great portion of scripture. If you're looking for a life verse tonight, man, maybe this is the one for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. And it tells us, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many are wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. 
Again, we've been chosen by God. And if you're here and you say, man, I'm, I'm not worthy. God doesn't know how dumb I am. God doesn't know how weak I am. You're in great company, right? He chose me. He chose us. He chose Gideon, right? You mighty man of valor. Gideon's there hiding in the cave, freaked out, right? They need a new king. Who does he choose? The, the 12-year-old, the 15-year-old kid that his own dad left out in the farm tending the sheep when the most important person in the country came to visit the home. That's who God has chosen. So again, the Lord has chosen us as the vessels which will bring him the most glory and the most honor. That is who God has chosen. And again, it's beautiful, it's comforting. Jesus, when speaking with Nicodemus in a purely evangelistic conversation in John chapter 3, he puts the responsibility on Nick. Now, one time does Jesus there mention the election or the foreknowledge or the ordination of God. There with Nicodemus sharing the gospel, he says, you must be born again. It's all done through the Lord, but it's a decision that we must make. And again, his foreknowledge. We may be surprised by our own actions, but God, he's never surprised. I remember one time I was about to walk into a pastor's meeting and I told my dad, ah, I don't deserve to be in there. Just let me skip this one now. I'm not feeling right. He turns to me and goes, did you ever deserve to be in there? That's a good point. That's a good point, Dad. That's a good point, right? And sometimes we think, man, I don't deserve to come to church today. I don't deserve to be serving today. And yeah, you're right. We don't. We should be very careful telling God, Lord, give me what I deserve. Be very careful praying that prayer, right? We're going to see here in a moment. It's all by his mercy. Again, we may be surprised by our own actions, but God never is. Again, be reminded of Peter, right? Telling Jesus, Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you, right? And wasn't Peter surprised? He denies him three times. The rooster crows. It tells us there Jesus being beaten and marred to the point where he's not even recognizable as a human being. At that point, him and Peter, they lock eyes, and it's Jesus looking into his soul. It's the same word when Jesus looked at Simon and said, hey, your name is Simon, but from now on you'll be called Peter. And he looks at them with those same eyes and the brokenness, the shame of Peter. How could I have done this? A couple hours ago, I said I would never do this, right? Maybe you're here and you're surprised at your actions. You're surprised at the actions of someone else that you loved and trusted. Remember, God is never surprised. And now what Peter is telling the believers here and what Peter is telling us is that election and foreknowledge are not just about heaven and hell. Believers, they like to throw that around just for about heaven and hell. But here what Peter's telling us in verse 2 is, hey, we are elected according to God's foreknowledge in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience, the sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ. I don't hear many believers talking about being elected for this, right? You see, we are chosen for sanctification. We are handpicked by God, yes. We are adopted into the family of God, yes. We're handpicked and chosen to go to heaven and not go to hell, yes. But if all those things you're saying yes to, then we have to say, Lord, I've been chosen for sanctification in the spirit by God's foreknowledge. 
Again, God's election of us is realized and manifested in our sanctification. Okay, that's a big word. I don't know how often we use that word. Sanctification, it means purification, set apart for a sacred purpose. Purification. We are chosen to be purified of the Spirit. You're here and you're saying you're going to heaven. We are to be purified by the Holy Spirit. And that's an ongoing process of purification. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 10 tells us, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Through Christ's blood, if we claim and we hope that we get to heaven, if we claim and we hope that we have this friendship and relationship with God, you're also claiming and hoping for this process of purification. And usually we purify those things that we love and we hold the most dear to us. And as we are chosen and one of the most dear things to God, He has put us in a state of purification, right? You have water flowing all in your home, right? Not, hopefully not all over your home, but in your home you have water flowing everywhere, right? You have water in the faucet, you got water in the toilet, you got water in the hose, got water in the refrigerator. But if you have a chosen vessel of honor, right? Then you get some chosen water. You get some sanctified water. If you have a fish tank in your home, if you ever take care of someone's fish, don't just be dumping any random water in there, right? It needs to be sanctified water. It needs to be purified water because that fish tank is a chosen vessel, right? It's special to them. Maybe you think, right, there's certain people that they're all into water purification for their own drinking, right? And you have something on the side. Your kid goes to drink out of the hose and you tell them, no way, right? Even though that's how I grew up, drinking from the hose, but whatever. Right? We have purified water. We have a special faucet with special purified water for us. That's sanctified water. Maybe you have an espresso machine at home, right? Just maybe. That's what I got. That's my chosen vessel, right? And that thing has sanctified water connect to it. Because the other water, it has impurities. It has hardness. It has things that will damage it over time. So what God does with us, if we say, hey, I, I'm a Christian. I'm chosen of God. I'm elected of God. Hey, you are to be in a constant process of sanctification. We are to be in a constant process of purification Family, are we being purified? In our decision-making, are we bringing it to the Lord, saying, Lord, will this purify me? This television show I'm about to watch, this business decision I'm about to make, this hobby I'm about to jump into, this joke I'm about to tell, Lord, is this growing me in my process of purification for you? Or is this throwing more garbage into the sink. Again, we are in this ongoing process of sanctification. And as that ongoing process is going, it is for obedience. Again, as we're going through the sanctification process, right, the purification process, which is done by the Holy Spirit, we are now prone to the obedience of God through the Spirit of God. 
We're not going to be able to obey God and his word if we're not being purified by God. It's just not going to happen. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, right? And again, all of this, we'll read verse 22 through 25, right? Talking about the purification process. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Again, verse 22, since we've purified our souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. That obedience comes from that purification process through the Holy Spirit and also through the Word of God. Right? Maybe you're here and you think Holy Spirit and you're like, spooky, right? I don't know about that, right? Just go through the Word of God and allow God's Word to go through you. Now again, as a believer, we can't say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven. But I don't really believe this thing. I like that it says I'm going to heaven and not hell. But the rest of it, I don't really believe. You can't do that. It says that God, he holds his word above his own name. Above his own reputation. Again, God's word is the key thing for our process of purification. We can't be claiming heaven and saying I want to be purified in the world. We can't be claiming heaven and wanting to be going through a different type of sanctification process. It's done through the Lord. It's done through his spirit. And we obey God not because he's guilting us, not because he's shaming us, but we obey God out of faith in God. Lord, I'm going to obey you because I have faith that your word is true. And what you say is going to happen will happen. In Romans chapter 1 verse 5, it tells us through him we received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Again, it's through faith that we're able to obey God. It's only through faith. It's only through the Holy Spirit as we come to the word of God and allow his spirit and his word to constantly purify us. David Guzik, he says, while some would like to think that election only has to do with going to heaven or going to hell, Peter reminds us that it also touches the earth. A claim to be among the elect is doubtful if there's no evidence of sanctification and no evidence of obedience. Are we being sanctified, family? Are we being obedient to the word of God. And again, our Lord, he's so gracious, he thinks of everything, right? You see, the problem with the elect, the problem with believers, is we don't stay perfect, right? And that's the last thing here, the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. As the elect, as the chosen, when we fall during this process of being purified, when we fail in our obedience to God, there still remains a cleansing of our sins. And it's provided to us by Jesus Christ. Again, daily we should be reminded of the shed blood of Jesus Christ for our sins. Daily we should be seeking him to forgive us of our sins, right? 
We're not saying my sins are right, my sins are okay. No, because we're in the purification process, we're saying, Lord, these sins, they're damaging my purification process. Lord, my sins, they're doing the opposite thing of what I want you to do in my life. So Jesus, would you forgive me of this? Lord, I'm sorry for doing this once again. Lord, I'm sorry for slowing down this process. Lord, help me get out of the way. And Lord, would you forgive me? It's a constant process that we need to continue to go through. And again, Peter, he's not telling us that he's already done with it, right? That he's 100% purified, certified, right? No, he's going through it. Just as we will go through it till the day that we meet Jesus Christ face to face as the elect chosen of God. Verse 3, it tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, Peter's so amazing here, right? The moment that Peter begins to think about salvation, he can't help but begin to praise God in the middle of his letter to this group of believers. He's in the middle of writing a letter. Hello, guys. Hey, it's Peter. How are you guys doing? Man, God loves us. God picked us. Blessed be God. He loves us so much. He's so gracious. He's so kind. That's what Peter's doing here. Again, listening to a teaching, one of the pastors put it like a musical, right? All of a sudden, everybody's saying, hello, how are you? And then out of nowhere, everybody just starts bursting into song, right? And now everybody knew the song. Everybody knew the dance moves. What kind of a city is this? What kind of a town is this that everybody knows the exact same song and the same exact dance, right? In the middle of Peter's letter here to the believers, he can't help but give praise and glory to God. Again, family, when was the last time we just broke out mid-sentence in giving praise and glory to God? When you think of our election, do we stop there and just give praise and glory to God? God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Again, family, it all starts with him. It all starts with the love of God. We have so little to do with it. It all starts with him. It all starts with his abundant mercy. He is the one who planned our way of salvation. He is the one who is the initiator. He is the one who has created all this and led all of us to those moments when we would hear the gospel. We are simply the responders to his love and great mercy. That word mercy, it's to be kind and gentle to someone who is a wrongdoer or an opponent, having no right to it. Being kind and gentle to someone who is a wrongdoer or an opponent having no right to it. See, here's a dangerous thing. When we cling on to religion or religiosity, 
What we're saying is, I deserve heaven because I've done X, Y, or Z. The problem is that if we're stating that, if we're believing that, we're giving no room to the mercy of God. Because we're saying, I have a right to this. I have worked hard enough that now I deserve, in fact, God, you owe me X, Y, or Z. But that's not biblical. Again, it's all because of his mercy. We are wrongdoers. We were once opponents of God himself. And now he's the one that reached out to the other side and was kind to us and gentle to us. Again, we need to be reminded of that. As we deal with other people, are we reaching to the other side and being kind and gentle, even though they have no right to it? That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a believer, to show mercy because God has shown us his abundant mercy. Charles Spurgeon, he says, all his goodness to us begins with mercy. No other attribute could have helped us had mercy been refused. As we are by nature, justice condemns us. Holiness frowns upon us, power crushes us, truth confirms the threatening of the law, and wrath fulfills it. It is from the mercy of God that all our hopes begin. Again, family, that's why it's so important for us to be merciful. Are we merciful to one another? Are we even merciful to those within the household of God, right? Someone walks into the building and they look a little disheveled. They have a stain on their shirt, right? Are we merciful to them? Are we right away, right? Making fun of them, messing with them. No mercy, right? We love to say that, right? But His abundant mercy. Are we being merciful with one another, right? And what has He done? He has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Family, where is your hope? Again, it's called a living hope because it's imperishable. It will never end. His hope, it's continuing. His hope, it's never going to perish. It's never going to stop. We're never going to be at a place where his hope is going to disappoint us. I think we've all been there, right? When we're hoping for something and it disappoints and you're just bummed out and you're like, wow, I've hoped for this for so long. I thought once I'd get this degree, once I got the girl, once we had this, I thought everything would be settled. And now hopes, smashed, broken. That's one of the most difficult places to be at in life. But what God is telling us here is that his hope is living. It's alive. It's breathing. It's never going to die. It's never going to stop. And we have this hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Again, the chief hope we have, which the world can never answer is hope from sin and hope from death. We have the answer. Again, are we acting like that? Are we talking with other people? Have we been sharing the gospel with others, right? Asking those hard questions. What do you think about God? What do you think about what's going to happen when we die? Have you ever thought that you're going to die, right? Having these difficult questions. If you could ask God any question, what would you ask him? Right? Different questions to ask people, but we have the answer for the world's most difficult problems, sin and death. The world has no answer for those problems. You go to a funeral of an unbeliever and you can see there is no answer for what has just happened. There's no remedy. But now you go to the funeral of a believer and you can think they're a little crazy, right? 
They're like telling jokes. They're laughing. They're joking. It's bitter, but it's sweet at the same point. So for us, we have the answer to the world's most difficult problems and equations. And now, what do we have? An inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Again, family, our inheritance is so incredible that Peter cannot even describe it. All he can tell us is what it's not, right? Our inheritance is so incredible. Peter can't even just say, oh man, they have this many cars and this type of house and this amount of money in the bank. No, he's saying it's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. And maybe you're at that point in life, right? It's important to have your inheritance written out where the money's going to go and where it's going to be distributed. But if you have a parent and they're in the midst of living life, hopefully not you guys here today, but you see them buy a new house, see them buy a new boat, think, Mom, Dad, you're wasting all the money later on, right? Hopefully none of you guys are thinking of that, right? Think a long time ago when people would buy big RVs on the back, they put my kid's inheritance. And they would just drive around with that, right? And maybe you're there and you're thinking that, which we'll pray for you later, right? But the joy that we have is that our inheritance with God, it can't be spent. It can't be wasted away. We don't even have to worry that the attorney's putting down the wrong paperwork and it's going to someone else. We don't have to worry that's going to our punk brother or sister that did nothing for our parents, right? It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It's not going to fade away. And now it's reserved in heaven for you. It's reserved in heaven for you. I don't know if you've ever gone to a hotel and you show up, right? They say reservation. Come again. What was that, right? There's no room here. We got no space. Right? For me, every time I check in, there's that brief moment. What if they can't find my name, right? What am I going to do? Get to the couples retreat. Zach Vasquez, sorry, God, we don't have your name here, right? You're not allowed to come in here, right? But now our reservation for heaven, our reservation for our inheritance, it is reserved in heaven for us. And who's the one keeping it? Is it that 18-year-old guy behind the counter? No, it's not, Right? Our inheritance is reserved by who? By the power of God, right? Again, we should be encouraged by this. We're not going to get to heaven and be like, whoops, sorry, man, Gabriel, he, uh, he lost the reservation, right? He misspelled your name. Sorry, Zach, you're not in here, but Zach Velasquez, he's making it in, but you, you're going down to heaven. Sorry, man. Quick misspelling. We'll try to fix it later on, right? No. It's reserved in heaven for us, and it's kept by God's power. God's power is the one that's protecting us. God's power is the one protecting our hope. God's power is the one that's protecting our inheritance. God's power is the one that's keeping our reservation in heaven for us. And again, we should take great comfort in this. Not going to get to heaven and be like, oh, man, I'm not in there, right? Where's my name? No, if you're elect, if you're chosen, he's protecting it. He's guarding it. Maybe you've gone through that season. I remember going through that season where every night I'd pray my prayer, Lord, pray protect the house. Lord, pray you'd give me no bad dreams. And Lord, I pray I'd get saved today, right? And I was like, every night for like a month, right? Let me just double check. Let me make sure, right? Maybe you've been there where you came up to prayer, 
for salvation, like once, twice, three times, four times. Let me just make sure, right? With the Lord, he made sure. He's protecting it. He is keeping it. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. If we are being regenerated, right? That's the big word there. If we are being sanctified and purified, if we're being obedient to God's word, we can relax and trust him. Our hope, it is in him, right? And then we read these last two verses. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's you here tonight. And you've been grieved by various trials, right? Maybe you're going through some difficulties right now. And you're grieved. You're bummed out. You're saddened that what's going on. Bad health, bad news, right? Bad breakup, whatever it may be. Perhaps that's happening because we are being purified, right? That our faith would be purified. That the genuineness, the reality of our faith would be brought to the surface. Family, how's your faith? How's your relationship with Jesus Christ? The best way to see is you put some fire on it. Put yourself through a trial, right? Stub that toe and see what's the first words that come out, right? What's the genuineness of your faith? Do you go through a trial and you're shaking your fist at God saying, Lord, I don't deserve this, right? We talked about that earlier. What we deserve, it's hell for all of eternity. When we're going through the trial, right, Lord, I can't believe this is happening. How dare you? All this stuff. It's revealing to us the realness of our faith, right? Hopefully none of the ladies here have found out that a ring they thought was real, right, was not. Some earrings they thought were real. Suddenly their ears are turning green, right? Hopefully they didn't have to find that out. But as we go through trials, the genuineness, the reality of our faith is being brought to the surface, and again, for us to realize the trials that these believers were going through, it's nothing like what we're going through. Again, imagine that your family member was hauled away by Nero and was being used as a lamp in Nero's garden. How are you going to go through that? How are you going to trust and rely on the Lord even though a family member or a friend was just hauled off to prison and put to death for no other reason than they loved Jesus and believed in the Bible? That was the trials they were going through for us. Now we're going through some difficulty with our nation. But the Lord's on the throne. Where is our hope? Where is our reservation, right? Hopefully it's not 2024. Hopefully you're not saying that already, right? Our hope, our reservation, it's in heaven. It's in the Lord. In this world, we're promised tribulation. In this world, we're promised difficulties. But may we remember where our hope lies. May we remember what the good news is. It's not a particular candidate. The good news is that Jesus Christ came and died and resurrected for sinners like you and me and everyone else. And as believers, may that be the good news that we're sharing and spreading. May we be being purified, right? As we go through this week and we're faced with different decisions, ask yourself, Lord, will this lead to my further purification? Or Lord, is this going to take me a step back? Lord, these things that I'm clinging to, is it helping me in the process of purification as the elect, as the chosen of God? 
Or Lord, is this just making me carnal and sinful? And the whole reason why you died on the cross, now I'm beginning to add that onto my life. 